Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Pacific Heart Podcast with Dr. Ravi Chandra. What follows is a 25-minute interview of Dr. Ravi Chandra by Maud Hu, a graduate-level student in the UK, discussing the question, should racism be considered a mental illness for purposes of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association? I discussed this question as well as the broader category of should pathological bias be considered a diagnosis in the DSM, as proposed by Drs. Bell and Dunbar in a seminal article that's referred to in the blog post after Charlottesville, Should Racism Be Considered a Mental Illness? And the link to that article is available in this podcast description, as well as links to my other work and websites. So thank you for listening, and I hope you get something out of this, uh, some food for contemplation, thought, and discussion in this difficult time. Thank you. So we can just get right into it. For the people who don't know you, could you just introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself? Okay, so my name is Ravi Chandra. I'm a psychiatrist and writer in San Francisco. Uh, I'm also a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. I write for Psychology Today and the Center for Asian American Media and a variety of other uh, uh, organizations. Um, I also teach mindful self-compassion and compassion cultivation. So how exactly would you define racism? Well, uh, I think, you know, uh, certainly it's prejudice plus power is the typical formulation. Uh, and I, I think underlying that is, is a hostility uh, in worldview, a, a feeling of superiority. Uh, typically uh, in, in the Western world, it's uh, uh, white supremacy or superiority uh, uh, and, uh, and all the impact of that uh, uh, on health, uh, economic, uh, uh, mental health, um, justice system, criminal, criminal justice, uh, policing all of the all of the downstream effects uh, of that. Mm -hmm. So, in your opinion, do you believe that racism is a mental illness? Well, I think you know. I think we have to uh, think about uh, hostility first, and where does hostility come from, and uh, where do attitudes come from? So, I think it's a very complex issue, and classifying racism as a mental illness might have the effect of uh, politicizing the issue. Uh, and uh, that that might have you know negative effects. So I think, yeah, but it, I think we we have to consider uh, that racism is certainly a social ill, and uh, how do we address that? And could psychology and psychiatry uh, be helpful in this? And and in my article, I referenced some work by uh, by Carl Bell and Dr. Dunbar, uh, uh, you know, regarding uh, pathological bias, and they proposed a DSM. Uh, diagnosis for pathological bias. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think when you can uh, apply a diagnosis to something, that means you could think about potential treatments for pathological bias. Um, you know, and that, that, that may not address all the effects of racism, but, uh, but that at least uh, is true. So I think it's something we should consider. Um, yeah. Do you think that racism should be added to the DSM? Well, um, you know, again, I think that's a, a consensus decision, which is driven by a lot of factors. Um, and and I, I would, my personal belief is that somehow we have to be able to 
talk about racism and pathological bias in the DSM. I mean, it's it's certainly kind of, I think, in there in terms of the cultural formulation and so forth. Um, and I think it, it, hidden inside uh, certain diagnoses, um, personality disorders, etc. I mean, you have you know, loss of empathy and, uh, uh, you know, self-view and all of this. So, so it can kind of fit into that, but I, I, I don't think it's, it's outright, uh, discussed as a mental illness. So, um, but, you know, I think, I think, you know, uh, whether it's racism or misogyny or homophobia, transphobia, I mean, these are all, uh, deeply, uh, hostile reactions or beliefs uh, or worldviews uh, which are damaging to people. And so how do we talk about the ways that attitudes and societal constructs damage people? And I think mental health is one important way to discuss that. So why do you think that people are trying to medicalize the racism, the term racism? Why do people try to make it sound like it's a disease or like a mental illness? Well, you know, I think... Um, the first thing that came to mind is uh, watching the viral videos of uh, people uh, like, uh, what's her name, Amy Cooper in Central Park uh, confronting uh, the, uh, the birder Christian Cooper. Um, you know, so uh, that's one example of where somebody really gets kind of unhinged because she's in contact with a black man and she kind of uses whatever... Uh, people have called it performing her anxiety or performing something in order to get a certain reaction, which she knows would cause trouble for the black man. So, um, you know, I think I think that's something. And then there was, there was a case in San Francisco where uh, a, a woman basically assumed that a, a Filipino man who lived in the Pacific Heights, a very wealthy neighborhood, he lived there, uh, and he was he was chalk he was putting. Uh, Black Lives Matter in chalk art on his retaining wall, and she had a she had a reaction. She she basically questioned whether he belonged there, and so so it's like where does this uh, come from? She assumed that he didn't belong in this neighborhood, and he lived there. You know, so there's this attitude of who belongs and who doesn't belong, and so so these are the two things that I think we should probably talk about more in terms of our psychology. One is identity, and one is our sense of belonging. And um, of course, our identity also depends on a certain sense of belonging as well. And so, uh, so racism impacts both identity and belonging and, and creates these disconnections uh, between people. And I think that, uh, that uh, white people can feel very disconnected uh, for a variety of reasons, and also people of color and other minorities can feel disconnected. And I think what we're ultimately aiming for as society progresses, is a greater sense of equity and belonging for all people. So, so that's why I think people want to put the finger on racism because it's such a critical part of identity. It's on our skins, right? Um, even though it, that may kind of hide a lot of subtlety. I mean, there are, you know, there are, uh, uh, you know, there are, for example, um, there are. Chinese people who were raised by black step parents, you know, I mean, so, so in this very complicated, uh, you know, ways that we interact and um, there are, uh, there are, uh, similarly, there are uh, adopted black children uh, who live with Asian families or white families and so forth. And so, so race becomes very complicated, but uh, when it's, when it's dealt with superficially, when we aren't understood in our full 
beings or given space to be who we fully are, then we, I think we feel disconnected. So that's why, I mean, it's, it's a, I think a particularly, I mean, the last five years, it's been particularly crazy in the United States, um, you know, and um, uh, I think uh, the, you know, it used to be in 2015 that about 50% of Americans thought racism was a significant problem. Now it's like 71, 72% in just five years. So that's a monumental shift uh, a seismic shift, if you will, and and um, so I think this points to the the, the fact that now the, the great majority of people uh, believe racism is a major problem, and so um, is it purely a mental health issue? Maybe not, because but but I think we can start to think about and unravel where do these attitudes of uh, of giving other people, the feeling that they don't belong or are less than. Where do they come from? And there's historical reasons, there's social reasons, there are media reasons. I mean, these, it's, it's, it's deeply complex, but they can manifest, uh, uh, I think, as, as, as a, 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 at least part of a personality. And then how do you treat that, that hostility, sense of separateness, uh, you know, uh, that, that that kind of uh, superiority or supremacy. I mean, so I think I think we have to start talking about those questions in mental health because they come up, you know. And how do you deal as a therapist, whether you're a white therapist or a a person of color as a therapist, with uh, you know? I think mo all all of my patients really have been very uh, pro uh, or anti-racist and working through this issue. It's very painful for for my patients, and, and I have a diverse patient population, but I know there are patients out there who might, you know, have struggled with this or be more aggressive about their opinions. And so how do we address those in the therapy room, too? I mean, it may not be purely calling out, of course, in the therapy room. You don't really, you know, it's not, I mean, sometimes you might need to set boundaries, of course, but 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 I think, um, but it's about exploring. Well, where do these attitudes and opinions and reactions come from, and I think that's that's a journey we should take uh, as, uh, as 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 psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists. So um, so yeah, that's a, a long-winded answer to to that. But um, that's yeah. fine. Do you do you know because uh, you talked about history and everything? Do you know when this all started? Uh, when people started to compare racism to mental illness? Um, I think uh, uh, Bell. Uh, was talking about it uh, back in the 70s. Uh, and certainly Chester Pierce uh, is another uh, black psychiatrist who, uh, who uh, basically created the concept of microaggressions. Um, so that was back in the early 70s as well. But I'm sure there are uh, strands of this thinking for a lot longer than that. And, and of course, uh, you know, it's come through the arts as well, you know, kind of pointing out uh, the uh, insanity of racism. I mean, really, it's just this, it's, it's ultimately, when you think about it, it's just this totally irrational, ridiculous construct um, because you could as easily uh, talk about black excellence, black supremacy even, uh, based on uh, the, the kind of uh, beauty that, uh, that black people have brought to the culture and have uh, inspired the culture in every category. So, I mean, it's really this, uh, this, this atavistic, uh, belief, which I think you know, springs from first contact of empires, you know, and and uh, the white uh, race, or if you want to say, or the Europeans uh, when they met blacks, 
there was a feeling of inferiority, that the blacks were inferior and primitive and savage and so forth, and therefore should be subjugated and uh, colonized and uh, enslaved. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, when Columbus came to the New World, um, the, the Native Americans uh, bore him flowers and fruit. They waded out to him in the waters bearing flowers and fruit. And his first thought was, oh, these will make great slaves. You know, I mean, so those kinds of attitudes. And then, of course, you know, in China, uh, there was this, I think, a feeling of uh, probably insecurity, you would say, and jealousy uh, of the advances of the, the Chinese uh, culture. And so then it became a question of how do we master this other uh, force, uh, this other presence in the world. And India, of course, there's colonialization and all of this. So, so exploitation, subjugation, colonization. I mean, so these are the, the strands of thinking. And, you know, I think, you know, I think ultimately we all came from Africa, right? We were all, you know, we've all, 150, 200,000 years ago, we were all, uh, our origin is in Africa. And the human tribe has taken many paths since then. And some tribes have particularly chosen the route of uh, uh, domination and superiority, and partly because they had certain advantages of environment, etc. Um, as Jared Diamond points out um, in his books, you know the, the Europeans had you know basically stable climate over a large area, and that allowed for a kind of stability that uh, allowed for a certain kind of uh, uh, advancements to be made. But you know, uh, you know, I, I don't want to lay all blame uh, on, on the Europeans. Uh, I mean, there's, they, I think they've had their own struggles with uh, love and power all along as well. And uh, so maybe we're now at this time of reunion and recontact between all of our, our tribes, so to speak, and uh, we, can, we can transcend to a new sense of belonging. That's my hope. And that's kind of shaking off the mental illness of perhaps the last 10,000 years in a sense uh, of, um, of, of egoic, uh, well, I mean, I, I could trace it back to the agricultural revolution and um, this thinking that our, our ourselves, our identities are built around our houses, our possessions, uh, and our status. Uh, whereas I think largely the preceding view was that we are composed of our relationships and, um, you know, our, our identities are formed in relationships and cultures have to varying degrees expressed that. Um, and I think we've had various philosophies that have tried to bring that quality of relatedness um, back into our lives as we've, as it's been eroded by, uh, by this kind of industrial revolution and agricultural revolution, etc., which tend to focus uh, more on objects and external. So how do we get back to a more related way of being? And I think part of that is exploring how we harm each other in relationships and how we, uh, we, we, we don't allow ourselves to give other people uh, their full identities and a full sense of belonging. And racism is a, is a major component of that. Okay, so what would be the consequences if racism was officially classified as a mental illness? Well, I think uh, one thing is if pathological bias more broadly or racism were classified as a DSM diagnosis, I think, uh, you know, a couple things. One is you could maybe incorporate that into your understanding of patients um, and, uh, and also develop treatment protocols 
for people who have these beliefs or guidelines. So that's one thing. The other thing people have said to me is, oh, if it's classified as a mental illness, then people could get out of crimes by claiming they, they had a mental illness. And I think, well, they would have to identify as racist first. And, uh, and so, so there would be a treatment program for that, you know? And so, so I, think, I think for me, it would be, we could manage it if we really had the societal infrastructure to, uh, to cope with, uh, but we have to have that, that emphasis in society that, that racism is not something good. It's not just an opinion or a political belief. Uh, or, you know, and, you know, uh, you know, you, people, I suppose people are entitled to opinions, but when they're, when they're so damaging and harmful to society, I think, you know, I think we can kind of give up uh, or, or, or treat uh, those attitudes. Um, so, so I think, I think I, for me, I would be more in favor uh, of uh, putting it in the DSM in, in some form, uh, perhaps as pathological bias to keep it broad. Um, you know, um, because that talks about the underlying uh, condition, the anxiety or paranoia or hostility that comes about through racial contact or contact with gays or contact with people who are different from oneself and then deals with that, um, you know. So, so um, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so do you think it's actually possible to, um, to just change racist people's perception Lines. I, I have great hope. Yeah, I do because I think I think people have changed. You know, I, I think I think you know uh, when you when you look at what was happening in the '60s in the United States. I mean, these you know calling you know dogs and uh, uh, so forth on uh, uh, on peaceful black protesters. I mean, uh, dumping uh, you know beating them up, etc., for just sitting at a lunch counter. I mean, and those are the those are the relatively milder examples. Um, and we're not at that stage, although, you know, it, it, a lot of ugliness has uh, surfaced um, and uh, the, the scab of the wound has been torn off in the last five years. And we're seeing, uh, I think, a lot more uh, problems. But I, I have great hope that, you know, for example, with that seismic shift in understanding that racism is a major problem, people's attitudes can change. I don't, you know, I can't, don't pretend to say that, that even the most sociopathic racist will change. I mean, but that's a bigger question. You know, that's a different question. I think, I think the societal environment can certainly change and uh, the vast majority of people's attitudes can change. And I think, um, I certainly know, uh, you know, I, I, I knew a professor from Mississippi who said, yes, his family had changed in the 30, 40 years you know, since the 60s, uh, um, you know, so uh, at that time. So, so I mean, pe I think people do change. Mm -hmm. So what do you think people or the society should do to fix the problem of racism today? Is there, is it easy to fix or what should people do? Well, if it was easy, it would be done. Um, but I think <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's this, uh, it's conversations like this. It's uh, being open and recognizing that, uh, that yes, we can harm people with our uh, conscious and unconscious biases. And, you know, what I know, I, and, you know, I think that, the, the, you know, to, to understand that we all hold some kind of power, you know, when we're with other people in relationship, and I think how to, how to uh, uh, you know, how to be, uh, you know, more compassionate. I mean, compassion, uh, I think, first of all, 
It, uh, it actually, uh, there's research that shows that it, it reduces implicit bias, self-compassion and compassion training. So, I mean, there are some potential treatments for, for people who get locked in to these, uh, these attitudes uh, uh, or who don't know how to deal with them. And uh, right now, I think we're having a lot of kind of um, the, uh, the kind of essentially call out culture. And uh, that's fine. I mean, you know, sometimes you have to put a pin on something and make people feel uncomfortable before they change. But I think we also have to, it also has a, a toxic downside, which is making people feel like they're bad, you know, inherently bad. Um, and, and I think, you know, nobody ultimately wants to continually feel like they're a bad person, uh, whether they're white, black, or any other race. And so, uh, so I think to call people in with compassion is my preferred uh, route. Um, and, uh, you know, a, psych a social psychologist, Dr. Keltner, uh, talks about the power paradox. As you gain power, you lose empathy. And one of his principles is how do you, how do you uh, create an enduring power is telling stories that unite, uh, 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 telling, uh, uh, also giving to others, being generous, and so forth. I mean, all of these principles of connection help allow one to retain and restore empathy uh, in our relatedness and, and compassion. So really telling stories that unite. I think that's that's a very powerful concept. And, you know, in the last five years, we've had a lot of divisive stories. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, chiefly as uh, essentially a power grab or as a tension grab. And so if we can societally say, hey, we want to create a more inclusive society of belonging, we have to start talking about the stories that unite us. Have you heard about uh, Dan Elliott's Brown Eyes, Blue Eyes theory or exercise? No, I have not. What is that? Okay, it's basically her way of teaching or educating people about racism was to um, discriminate the blue oh, eyes right, by saying right. that they would be less smart than the gotcha. brown eyes. Right, right. I don't know if that's a good way, if you agree with that way of educating people by making people go through what most black or colored yes. people go through. I, I think that's great to, to put the shoe on the <laughs> other foot. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. what does it feel like to be treated like you're inferior and to internalize those uh, those uh, thoughts about oneself. I mean, you know, there was a, a study uh, that I read uh, that um, that uh, there were school black school children's test scores rose by ten points within months after Obama's election. You know, I mean, this is internalized, you know, uh, racism or what's called the stereotype threat um, by uh, Dr. Claude Steele uh, writes about that, uh, another prominent African American psychologist. So uh, uh, and so. Uh, so these these uh, internalized views and how we push those views out onto the world, they have a significant effect because we absorb these messages and we we wrestle with them. You know, you can't be independent of media messages and of social messages. They affect us. So I think I think that that's a great uh, 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 great experiment and exercise. Yeah. So talking about media, do you think the internet? plays a role in racism today, as in people are more exposed to extremist information very early on in their lives or any role yeah, it plays? Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a great uh, mixed bag. Um, I, I write about uh, uh, social media in my book, Face Buddha, Transcendence in the Age of Social Networks, and 
Um, you know, I think uh, in one sense you can really form community online with people from a disparate areas and uh, communicate and share information and humor and all of that. Um, and so that's good, but it's very different from a conversation, uh, you know, of, of physical presence. And so, so I think we, get, we can get more uh, inflamed by what we see on the internet um, and, uh, and then we don't know what to do with it. And sometimes people dump their emotions or there can be bad information and so forth. And so it's not, it, it's not ideal, but it's something, I suppose, you know. Um, so it's a mixed bag. And I think, I think we have to kind of uh, really develop a lot of wisdom about, uh, about the, the, the possibilities, but also limitations and potential downside of the Internet. Yeah. So those are all my questions, but okay. is there anything else you'd like to add that I haven't asked? Uh, <laughs> uh, boy, I think, I think we covered a lot of territory there. But um... Thank you for listening to the Pacific Hearts podcast. And regarding this particular episode, you can find a link to the blog post which initiated the discussion, as well as other links that might be helpful to you in the description to this podcast. Thanks, and please leave a comment if you're so inclined.